Hi folks, I want to welcome you to our adult Sunday school time. We are doing a survey through the Old Testament. We're up to the books of First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles, and we are focusing on uh, lesson 21 today. We're going to be actually doing two lessons on King Hezekiah of Judah. So this is Hezekiah part one. And so we're going to be focusing on Second Kings chapter 18 verses 1 to 12 and Second Chronicles chapter 29 verse 1 through chapter 31 verse 21. Now if you remember last week when we looked at our lesson we saw the fall of the northern kingdom. The king of Assyria had come through and uh, basically wiped out uh, the northern kingdom, took them away into exile. And so now the focus of both 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles turns to the remaining kings in the kingdom of Judah before Babylon comes later and takes uh, Judah into captivity. So we're going to talk today about uh, Hezekiah and his reign up into the time that the Assyrians will try to come against uh, Judah in Jerusalem. So let's take a look today. We're going to focus, first of all, on Hezekiah and a little bit about his kingship, okay? So in the third year of Hoshea's reign as king of Israel, Hezekiah became king over Judah. Now, Hoshea, remember, is the last king of Israel. He only reigned nine years before the Assyrian king took him away because he conspired with Egypt against Assyria. He was supposed to be a vassal king to Assyria before he was taken away in prison, and, of course, the northern kingdom was wiped out. So this is the third year of Hoshea's reign, and then Hezekiah becomes king over Judah because his father, Ahaz, has died. Now, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king and he ruled over Judah for 29, nine years. So basically he's 25 years old, he becomes king, and there is some thought, there's some conclusion that he may have even been co-regent with his father uh, before actually assuming the, the, uh, the throne as the sole king of Judah. And he reigned for 29 years. Now, as was different from his father, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked according to the ways of David. So one of the things that we could say about Hezekiah was is that he walked after the Lord like his great-great-great-great-grandfather David did. I mean, he walked after the Lord. How do we know that? Well, we're going to see some things in today's lessons that, that will show you that his heart is in the right place and he wants to do the right thing. In fact, he's going to do some things that other kings have not done. Okay, so he removed the high places, broke down the wooden images, and destroyed the bronze serpent. The bronze serpent, George, what, what is that? Well, don't you remember? We're actually going to look at it here in just a second. We're going to look at the scripture. Don't you remember that the bronze serpent emerged in Israel while they were in the wilderness and because of their sin? So I want you to notice with me Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Here's the story of where the bronze serpent came from. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor 
by the way of the Red Sea to go up around the land of Eden. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that Everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on the pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, think about this. This is back while they're journeying through the wilderness. This is even before they enter into the land. This is during the time of Moses. Here we are in the time of Hezekiah. Many centuries later, they're still, they still have this bronze serpent that they has become an idol. So here's what I want you to notice. The bronze serpent had become an idol to Israel because they offered incense to it. So this thing became an object of worship. It was supposed to be an object of healing, but rather it became an object of worship. And so they like basically started to treat it like an idol. And I want you to notice that it's Hezekiah now who is destroying it. Even all of the other good kings in Judah, even all the way back to David, None of them destroyed it, even though it had become an object of worship with the people. And, and what happens here is that Hezekiah does that. That's telling you something about Hezekiah. In fact, he trusted in the Lord so that there was no king like him before and after his reign. So the, basically, yes, we, we look at David and we're like, David, wow, what a great king. But I'm telling you right here, the passage is telling us that there wasn't anybody like Hezekiah even before his reign, which includes David, and even after his reign. Hezekiah was in a class all by himself because he was doing what was right before the Lord. So here's what I want you to notice. So Hezekiah held a fast to the Lord and kept the commandments, held fast to the Lord and kept the commandments which the Lord had given Moses, okay, that the Lord gave to Moses. So he's holding fast to the commandments. He's doing them. He's following after the Lord, and he's doing all of the commandments that the Lord had given. He's basically carrying out the law. And because of that, notice what the Lord does. The Lord prospered Hezekiah, and he rebelled against serving the Assyrian king. Now, basically, can I be honest with you? We saw this when we looked at King Ahaz. Ahaz made a lot of modifications to the temple, 
And that was because the text tells you he was being influenced by the king of Assyria. Now with that, I want you to notice something. The implication here is in a way Ahaz became a vassal, a servant to the Assyrian king. Which, if you remember, Ahaz said, he sent a message, I am your servant and your son, help me. Now, here we come to Hezekiah, and God is prospering him. He is following after the Lord. And so because God is prospering him, Hezekiah rebels against serving the Assyrian king. He rebels against serving the Assyrian king. So one of the things we start seeing now is that Hezekiah subdued the Philistines and took Gaza with its territory. So he's starting to expand his kingdom now. So he's taken the Philistines. And remember, the Philistines have been a kind of a sore spot in Israel even up to this day. But a lot of times they're brought into subjugation and then they rebel. But again, now Hezekiah has subdued the Philistines and taken Gaza with its territory. Now, here's what I want you to see. In the fourth year of Hezekiah, Shalemanzer, the king of Assyria, laid siege to Samaria. So we've already talked about, when we talked about Hoshea and, his, and the fall of, of the Samarian of the northern kingdom, we now see that there is a kind of a corresponding thing here where we're talking about Hezekiah. It's during his fourth year of reign that Shalemanzer is the one who lays siege to Samaria. So in the sixth year of Hezekiah, the Assyrian king captured Samaria and took Israel into exile, took the northern kingdom into exile. So by the sixth year, the northern kingdom is wiped out. Now, we're also going to see now that the spirituality of Hezekiah is actually moving out to not just taking down the high places and everything, it's moving out to basically bringing back worship, the worship of Yahweh, the true God, back to Judah. And so we're going to notice now in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3 through 36, it's going to talk about the cleansing of the temple. Okay, so it's going to talk about the cleansing of the temple. So in the first year of Hezekiah's reign, he opened the doors of the temple and repaired them. So as soon as he starts reigning, what does he do? He reopens the temple. Remember, the temple was closed by his father. Why? Because he's worshiping all these idols on every high place. He set up altars throughout Jerusalem. He's worshiping everybody but God. So Hezekiah opens the doors of the temple and has them repaired. Now, second thing I want you to see here is that the priests and the Levites were called to sanctify themselves and clean out the temple. So the priests and the Levites, they're basically being told now, okay, get yourselves ready to serve. In order for them to serve, they have to be sanctified. They have to be cleansed. So he's telling them to get themselves ready to serve again. Now, we also see here that Hezekiah is confessing. He's pointing out why he's doing this. So Hezekiah confessed the sins of their fathers in rejecting the Lord and neglecting the temple. So it's not just that he did this. He's confessing 
that their ancestors, their, their forefathers were neglecting the Lord and neglecting the temple. Hezekiah wanted to make a covenant with the Lord so that his wrath would be turned from Judah. What's Hezekiah doing here? Hezekiah is setting in motion whatever needs to happen so that they can once again experience the covenant blessings that were given in the law by Moses. As long as they were rejecting the Lord, as long as they were rejecting his place of worship, as long as they were seeking after idols, they were inviting the curses that were given to be brought upon them. In fact, the extreme of the curses was already experienced by the northern kingdom. And he's wanting to make a covenant with the Lord now so that the Lord's wrath would be turned away from Judah. So the priests and the Levites responded to the king by sanctifying themselves and cleaning the temple. So they, it says that they removed the rubbish from the temple. It basically got in such a state that there was just junk laying around. So Hezekiah then made sacrifices to the Lord and called the people to offer their sacrifices as well. So when the temple is cleaned up, He's the first one who comes in and begins to offer burnt offerings and then encourages now the people to bring their sacrifices to the Lord at his temple. The chronicler records that the king and the people rejoiced because the Lord had prepared the people. Now, when I, when I saw this, okay, so if you look at chapter 29, you'll come to the verse where it says this. I thought, isn't it amazing? The whole aspect of the revival that's taking place here, where they're getting back to the Lord, it's taking place because God had prepared the people's hearts to turn back to him. Do, do, do you see what's happening here? God had repaired the people's had prepared the people's hearts to return to him, to come to the place of dealing and getting rid of the junk in their lives. You need God to till the soil of your heart if it's hardened, to, to be back where you need to be. And so that's what we're seeing here in this passage. So then now we see not just the cleansing of the temple, but then we come to chapter 30, verse 1 of Second Chronicles, all the way to chapter 31, verse 1, and we see the celebration of the Passover. Now remember, when the Passover was instituted, remember the Passover was instituted on the night in which the plague of the firstborn took place in Egypt where the angel went through and killed all the firstborn throughout Egypt. They were celebrating the Passover as they prepared to leave on their journey to the promised land. And, and they were told that every year they were to celebrate the Passover. Well, they haven't done that for a while. And it's obvious that they didn't do it during the reign of King Ahaz because he's basically shut the door of the temple. He's not keeping the Passover. So Hezekiah sent letters throughout Israel and Judah calling them to Jerusalem. So he sent letters out. Let's, let's do this. They were to come to the temple in order to observe the Passover. So he's calling them to come to the temple in order to observe the Passover. 
Now, because the priests needed to needed for the Passover were not consecrated yet, it was scheduled later. Actually, it, it kind of tells you that rather than having it in the month that they were supposed to have it, they moved it to a, a little bit further down the road in the calendar, and that was in order for the priests to be consecrated, to be ready for all of these people who were coming for the, for the Passover to take place. So it was rescheduled, and the, and the king was happy with that. Now, the, the king called the people not to be like their fathers and that they should come to celebrate. So he's basically saying, don't be like your parents, your forefathers who neglected. You come and celebrate the Passover as we are commanded to do in celebration of what God has done for us. So the runners, so this is how, they didn't have email, they didn't have TV broadcasts or radio broadcasts, they didn't have a telephone. They had to send runners with the message, with these letters from the king. So the runners ran through the land where the people mocked at them, basically laughed at them and mocked them. Now we're going to see here that this is the people of the northern kingdom who are doing this. So just to kind of get you in your mindset of what time this is while we are looking at the record of this after it's been recorded that um that the northern kingdom has been destroyed the northern kingdom was destroyed in the sixth year of hezekiah's reign this is occurring in the first year of hezekiah's reign so the northern kingdom is still existing so runners are being sent throughout the northern kingdom to call the people of God, the, the children of Israel, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So they send these runners out, and here's the response, and I'm telling you, this is very indicative of a people who will end up getting punished by being either killed or sent into exile. They laugh at the runners at the whole concept of celebrating the Passover, and they even mock them. That tells you the spiritual condition of the northern kingdom. However, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came. There were three tribes of the ten. There were some from those three tribes who realized, yes, this is the right thing to do. So they humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem for the celebration. But I want you to notice when it came to Judah, the Lord moved all of Judah to obey the king in the celebration of the Passover. So when it came to Judah, God moved all of Judah to do the right thing, to prepare for the celebration of the Passover. So a very great assembly of people gathered at Jerusalem to keep the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Feast of the Unleavened Bread occurs at the time of the Passover. It's seven days of celebration. And all of this assembly, people from those three tribes in the north, people from Judah and Benjamin, of course, they're there and they're there in a great number to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They took away, here's what they did, they took away all of the altars in Jerusalem and cast them into the brook Kidron. The brook Kidron is on the outside of the city, and they basically, it's kind of like throwing them in a garbage dump. They kind of threw them out, threw out these altars that have been set up, a lot of them set up by King Ahaz 
as well as others, they are cleansing Jerusalem of the idolatry. Some of the people from the northern tribes had not prepared themselves for the Passover. What do you mean had not prepared themselves? Well, the whole issue is whether or not you are clean or not to enter into worship. And so some of the people of the northern tribes hadn't gone through the rituals that were necessary for them to be cleaned in order for them to partake in the Passover. But you know what? Hezekiah prayed that the Lord would provide atonement for the people. It's so important to Hezekiah that the people be involved in the Passover. He goes to God and says, God, I know they're not ready, but they need to be a part of this. Would you, would you forgive them? Would you atone for their sin? Would you deal with their sin? He's asking God to forgive them and to let them partake. So the Lord listened to the king and healed the people. What do you mean healed the people? Healed the people of their sin. He's healing the people of their sin. So the people began the feast of unleavened bread and agreed to keep the feast another seven days. So great was the celebration and so excited were people and so into it were people that after the seven days were over of the feast of unleavened bread, they then decided to do another seven days in addition to the seven days that were prescribed to keep the feast another seven days. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's kind of like saying the party's over, it's time to go home. Oh no, we're going to celebrate some more. How about let's celebrate another seven days? There was great joy in Jerusalem that had not been seen since the time of Solomon and David. It's kind of, basically that statement is it's kind of reflecting back on the times that there was excitement in Jerusalem. Like when? When David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Remember there was celebration then? Or remember under King Solomon when they, when they opened the temple and consecrated it and made the big sacrifices for it? There, there was such joy in those days. And what they're saying is that with this Passover and the celebration of the Passover, there was such joy in Jerusalem that had not been seen there since those days of David and Solomon. Those who were present for the feast returned home and destroyed the places of idol worship. They tore down the high places, tore down the, the wooden poles, the wooden images, the Asheroth poles, got rid of their bales. It caused them to go back and to deal with the idolatry that is in their area. So now... When we come to chapter 31 of 2 Chronicles, verses 2 to 21, the focus now is on the whole issue of the reestablishment of temple worship. Now, to understand the reestablishment of temple worship, you need to understand that when you look at the laws concerning the temple, it's not just laws of how the sacrifices were to be carried out, but it's also laws with regards to the support of the temple and the priesthood in the temple so that they could carry out their duties. And so Hezekiah makes some arrangements here to begin getting people to do the right thing and establishing the temple worship. So the first thing you notice is, is that Hezekiah appoints divisions of the priests to serve in the temple. So basically he's doing an admin thing 
and structuring the priests in order to serve in the temple. He's providing a structure of operations for them. The king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the daily sacrifices. And so basically, he's basically saying, okay, this is what the portion will be. Maybe it was a certain number of bulls, maybe a certain number of rams and, uh, and sheep, maybe, maybe grain offerings. We're not sure. It doesn't go into the details of that. But he's providing a daily portion for the priest to be able to offer sacrifices, but not just offer sacrifices, because portions of those sacrifices would be given for the support of the priesthood and the Levites who serve in the temple. So the king commanded that the people contribute for the support of the priests. So now he's telling the people, you need to give as well so that the temple continue, can continue in its operations and for the support of the priesthoods who carry out those operations. The people responded and gave abundantly to the temple. This is what's interesting. Here's how they responded. Oh, no, man, i got to give again. No, no, they were excited. They gave because they recognized it was their responsibility, and they gave abundantly to the temple. In fact, Isaiah will tell us later that they had to tell them to quit giving. They were giving so much. And that's kind of implied here in the text because now they have piles of stuff that have been given that is basically, the text tells you, just piling up in the temple to the point that Hezekiah has to organize places of storage for the stuff that is being given by the people. The people are giving generously out of their heart. So then the text tells you that Hezekiah did what was good and right before the Lord, and he prospered. So he's doing what's good. He's doing what's right. And God is prospering him. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of our first part concerning Hezekiah. Next week, when we get further into the text, further into chapter 8 of 2 Kings, further into 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and following, we're going to see now that Assyria comes against Judah. So we're going to see some things there. We're also going to see the whole issue of Hezekiah getting sick. Maybe you know about that. To the point where he's told to get his house in order, he's going to die. But then we're also going to see a problem, a mistake that Hezekiah makes with regards to some visitors to Jerusalem. And that's all going to be part of our lesson next week.